0: You can go ahead and be seated. Um, I want to throw this out there real quick. Um, When Chris was talking and and we were singing Cornerstone and he he made the comment towards the end of his encouragement um, that you can only run for so long, you can only run for so long or you, you, you can't continue to run like God, God is going to find you. God is going to continue to pursue you. And when he said that, and then when Chase was talking about the, someone needs to fall on the Lord. Someone needs to, to fall on the Lord today. We need to um, come to him. I don't know. It just struck something in my heart. And I want to throw this out there. If, if you fit into that where you've been running and you've been running and you've been, running, and you've been really, Going away from the Lord from a standpoint of of just running and running away. Maybe for your whole life you've you've just been running. And yet you know today, right now, that God, and you've been sensing this for a while, and you know that the Lord is is drawing you. He's he's taking hold of you. You know He is trying to pull you to Himself. And this is something you've been sensing. And then look, I really get the sense that this is salvation for somebody, that this is an issue of salvation, that this is an issue of faith in Christ, that this is something that you never said yes to in your life, but the Lord is pursuing you and you know this. And, and this morning, God has brought you here for that purpose. It's not that you came to church to be saved. God's been leading you to this for a while, but this morning is the the culmination of a lot of things. And you know, today is that day, the time that the Lord is drawing you near. And and see, this is the nine o'clock service, right? You all are the professional Christians, right? You, You get here at nine, all that kind of stuff. And we know that's not, not really accurate, but seriously, this is a lot of times the people who, a lot of times have been around the church longer. But if today you find yourself in that place, of saying, Lord, I need to fall on you and put my faith in you and trust in you, Jesus, for my righteousness, and you've never done that. And here's the thing, I know that this is gonna be challenging for you because for somebody in here it might be surprising to the person next to you that you would respond to this. But you know in your heart that faith in Christ is something you need, it's something you've run for, complete surrender to Jesus, is something you've battled against, but today the Lord is drawing you close this is what I want you to do. I want you to just take them. I want you to put your hand in the air with everybody looking around, with everybody um, in a place. Thank you. That's good. Hey, let's, let's get some people to pray right here. If you two ladies, mind coming, coming up, we're gonna get somebody to pray with you. I didn't forewarn you about this, but listen, this is a time for us to be able to celebrate this. Um, this is a time for us to help you take the next steps in your faith. Um, and, and so what I, I want to do again, though, I want to make sure that we miss somebody that this is you today. You know this is something that the Lord has been doing in your heart. And this morning you are prompted to respond to the Lord for salvation. Anybody else here this morning that that would be you? Amen. Amen. See, the thing about it is that you don't have to come to church to be saved. But what we find a lot of times, and when I say that, I don't mean like attending church. You don't attend church to be saved, but you don't have to walk in the doors of a church to respond in faith to Christ. But a lot of times what we find that happens is that God has been working in people's lives for a while. And then it just happens to be here that they realize this is what God's doing. And they make a response to what Jesus has been leading them to the whole time. It's not that you come here for salvation. It's just a lot of times, this is where Jesus makes it really clear that he's putting his finger on their life. He's grabbing hold of their hearts. And so we like to give that opportunity for people to respond. Um, It's already been a a good morning. I want to Uh, Talk to you this morning in the time we have um, out of the book of Acts. We're about to start going through the book of Acts. So if you want to be reading some things ahead, the book of Acts is where we'll be for some time now. Uh, We're going to break it up into different series of messages kind of based off of the theme of what's happening in the book of Acts, kind of the main thought that runs through it. And so uh, this series that we're going into that's going to last about six weeks is called To Be Continued. To be continued, and the reason for that is that the, the book of Acts is a continuation of Jesus's ministry. Um, it's really divided, and we're going to see this between Jesus's ministry on earth um, in in His body and Jesus's ministry um, on earth through His body, the church. And so, everything leading up to Acts, the gospels we read—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—those gospels are Jesus's ministry on earth in His body his physical body. When we get to the book of Acts, it is from there on, it is about the ministry of Jesus on earth through his body, the church. Okay, And so we're going to see this and and, um, this is something we'll talk about today. We're just going to cover the first five verses of Acts this morning. And um, I promise we're not going to just take five verses every Sunday. We'd be here probably till Jesus came back, but we're not going to rush either. We're going to take our time and we're going to go through this and see how did Jesus work through his people, the church, um, as, right immediately after his ascension, which is part of what we're looking at this morning. And so Acts chapter one, verses one through five, let's read those and we'll pray. God, it says, uh, as God is using Luke to write this. This is Luke. He wrote the gospel of Luke. We're about to read where this was his for, He speaks of his former book. That means the gospel of Luke. And so Luke wrote both the gospel of Luke and acts. And so he says in my former book, Theophilus, which is a man's name. Um, so this is who he's writing to. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and its truth. We thank you, God, that your ministry through Jesus, Lord, that 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 is um, something that is continued, that it didn't stop with the earthly life of Jesus as he was in a physical body, but it continues on this day. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be stirred, our hearts would be pricked, Lord. Our our love for you would be... um, Be stirred. our affections would be stirred and we would be compelled by the love of God, by the love you've given us through Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be a sent people, a people that lives in this mission, this movement that still continues through Christ today. And so Lord, we we thank you that we are a part of your body. We belong to you. We um, are people who are called by your name, seen in your righteousness. Lord, would you just let that sink in deeper today and compel us, Lord, compel us by the love of Jesus to do what you've commissioned us to do in the world. We love you, God. Amen. And so um, there's, there's moments in time that alter things. There's moments in time that completely change things. And so you look at this and, and it's like, this is the time before is really different after the event. And so think about some of these events in history. I went and I looked up some, like some of the major events, you know, just kind of Google it and you can find like major events. And so I went through and it had like 30, this one website had like 30 major events that shaped the course of history. I I didn't try to remember all 30 because some of them I had no clue what they were. Right. I mean, it's like, um, you know, wars and stuff that happened way, way, way back. And I'm, I don't really know anything about that. And so this kind of moved on. But some of them were kind of interesting, like uh, when the printing press was invented. Think about the difference in that. People writing everything out or, or whatever. And then you come and you get the printing press and, and it begins to change everything. Um, you begin to think about things like the, the passing of the 13th Amendment, right? in 1865, when the 13th Amendment was passed and it freed slaves in all of the United States of America. And so we think about those moments, the difference before, the difference after. Um, One of the ones that was in there, uh, I think, was, uh, of course, things like landing on the moon, how things were different before and after, the invention of of gunpowder and how things were different before and after. Um, And so you can think about those things. Some of them had religious Connotations to them, and and so um, when we think about our Christian faith, there are a lot of those things. There's things before and after, um, just you know, in the 1500s, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the wall and it was really this, this statement that, the, the, that Christ doesn't just belong in a cathedral, the word of God doesn't just belong in a cathedral to the educated, but it was saying that the word of God and, and this faith in Christ, it belongs in the hands of all people who, who've come to faith. And so um, it was a huge moment. We think about Jesus's birth and so we think about even how our calendar is divided um, by the birth of before Christ and after Christ, right? And so we look at that. And so we, we see that before and after is a big deal. We think about the crucifixion before and after. It marks our faith before and after the crucifixion. We think about the resurrection before and after. We even sometimes think about Pentecost. The day of Pentecost doesn't get a lot of press, but we think about the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came and and the the early church was filled with the spirit of God and and, and the spirit has has, has, um, filled every believer ever since who put their faith in Jesus and empowered him. So the day of Pentecost was one of these markers that was huge. Um, And then there's another day that we really don't talk about much. It's very, um, not very much talked about in the church. And that is the day that Jesus ascended. That's the day that Jesus ascended. And and Luke refers to this when he's um, speaking in this as he talks about um, how he began to do until, until the day it says he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. And so Luke talks about this, and, and then we read on down. We'll look at this next week where the disciples, these early apostles, they actually saw Jesus ascend to heaven with their eyes. And, and we don't talk about this very much, but the reality of it is that this is a huge day in history. It's a huge day in the history of the church because think about this before the ascension on this side of time, before the ascension, The ministry of God was done through Jesus um, for the people. This was Jesus is doing ministry on earth. But then after the ascension, there's this huge change where Jesus is still doing ministry on earth. But this ministry is no longer done by Jesus physically being on earth. This ministry, this movement of Jesus continues by the Holy Spirit through his people. And so it's a huge marker in time for the church. We need to understand this, that when Jesus ascended, that after that, the ministry of Jesus didn't stop. The ministry of Jesus continued to move forward. And so really, when you look at it, the ascension of Christ was both an ending and a beginning. It was an ending and a new beginning. It was an ending to Christ's earthly ministry that he himself did physically and a beginning of the church's ministry. And that's what the book of Acts is really about. It's about the church through the power of the Holy Spirit being used by God to continue the ministry of Christ, hence to be continued. So it was a beginning and a new or an ending and a new beginning. And we now, the church, are called to continue that movement. I just wanna look at this and see a little bit more about the movement that we're called to, that that this is something that that Jesus has called us to. If you look at verse one, it says says that, um, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And in that, what he's telling us is, look, I've told you what he began to do. Now I'm gonna tell you what he continues to do. What does it say? Continue to do and to teach. And so Jesus today continues to do and to teach through the Holy Spirit. The apostles, these 12 people that, that Jesus had chosen, They were the first ones to receive this instruction. They were the ones who had been with Jesus throughout his ministry. They were the ones who had seen Jesus crucified, dead, buried. Now they've seen him raised. And so Jesus is gonna instruct them specifically through the Holy Spirit so that the scriptures would be written so we can hold them in our hands today so that we can know the truth of God's word. But still today as well, the spirit of God still teaches us. When we open his word, and we begin to read it. The spirit of God teaches us to this day. Jesus told us before he um, died and before he ascended to heaven that once he was gone, he would send back the Holy Spirit and the spirit of God would instruct us. The spirit of God would lead us into truth. And he still does that today. And so this movement still continues on. It goes on and it says, Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. It says after giving instructions, after giving instructions, here's another aspect of this movement that, that Jesus gave instructions. The Greek word for that, I don't want to get too technical with it, but the word for that is literally commands after Jesus gave them commands. Now, can you think of a command that Jesus gave the disciples right before he ascended? What do we call it? The great what? Commission, the Great Commission, the Great Commission. Jesus gives them this command to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of His teaching. Everything I've taught you, teach them to obey these things. And so He gives them these instructions. He gives them instructions about what to do next. He He, he gives them instructions about their purpose, and that purpose is the Great Commission. If you look at it, it's pretty interesting because it says he gave these instructions to the apostles he had chosen. Now, here's the interesting thing. This thought hit me on Friday as I was studying. Never thought about this before, but I was like, why'd he call them apostles, All right? Why'd he call them apostles? Why did Jesus call these, these first 12 apostles? And as I began to study it, I, I came back across Hebrews 3.1, where the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is our apostle and high priest. And I'm like, why, why, the, why, why apostle and high priest? And if you go and you look at the word apostle, it literally means one who is sent one, who, um, a delegate, a messenger. And so basically what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus was sent to us as a delegate of the kingdom of God, as a messenger of the kingdom of God, as 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 one who who came, who was sent to the world to bring a message to the world, We know that message is a message of hope. It's a message of love. It's a message that tells us the way of salvation. It teaches us about the kingdom of God. And so we see that this word apostle, he's instructing the apostles. Why did he call them apostles? Because of the same thing. It was as if when Jesus called the 12 to himself and he said, you are the 12 apostles. You guys are going to be apostles. And he uses that word. It's as if he's already telling them, you guys are going to be sent ones. Does that make sense? So right from the very beginning, he's telling them, you are going to be sent ones. Just as God sent me, I'm going to send you. And here's the interesting thing, God uses these apostles to write the the scriptures. So now we have the apostles, we have the prophets writings that are the scriptures we hold in our hands. And here's the thing, though, that the Bible tells us that the church, you and I, are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, meaning that they are the foundation that that our our, our ministry, that our life is built on. But what is that? That the word of God, the Bible also tells us that Jesus is the cornerstone of that foundation. And so he's the one who gives it its direction, but it's the apostles and prophets who laid out this word of God. And so when we look at this, it's it's the reality that the sent one, Jesus, came taught instructed and gave a commission to the other sent ones who then wrote it all down who gave us a commission to continue being sent now we're not apostles but we are the body of Christ who was sent so think about this if Jesus in his physical body is called an apostle he is one who was sent what does that mean for us it means we as the body of Christ are a people who have been sent into the world A church that is not sent, a church that that wasn't focused on um, going to the world and, and, and bringing the gospel to the world would have been so foreign to the people we're reading about. It even says here, it says he gave these instructions through the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus himself was empowered by the Spirit of God. This mission, this movement that was to continue, he he himself was empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you go and read about his baptism, when he was baptized, he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and then he goes into the desert, he's tempted, he comes out and, and he's just whipping tail everywhere, right? And so he comes out and he's, he's doing miracles and, and the kingdom of heaven is, 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 is coming to earth and the kingdom of the enemy is falling and he's doing all these incredible things. But it's important for us to realize that Jesus' ministry too was a ministry that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he gave these instructions through the Spirit. The ministry of the apostles we see in the book of Acts was a ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit. They gave us instructions through the Holy Spirit. They were empowered with boldness and courage to carry the message through the Holy Spirit. You and I today are called to carry the the message into the world around us as the church to go and be sent people through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you would have asked these early believers, if you had told them some of the things that We look like as a church today, quite honestly, they would have been like, that's not built on the foundation. That's not built on the foundation. Because for them, knowing, experiencing, understanding the Holy Spirit was to understand that the Holy Spirit and his purpose was to empower for mission, empower to be sent. It wasn't something just to, he wasn't there just to give us a goosebump. He wasn't there just just to, 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 to help us grow a church and to help people come in and just go out and come in and go out. He was there. He is there. He is in us so that we can be the people that God sends into the world with a purpose of declaring his message of a purpose, of seeing lives restored and healed, the brokenhearted, that they're binded up, that they're healed, that they're liberated from sin and death, just as you are if you have faith in Christ. But this is our call. The call is not to be a people that just gathers in a big building. The call is to be a people that scatters throughout the world with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he tells us he gave these instructions. Jesus, in the spirit, powered by the spirit, gave this to the apostles, those who he's sending, those who are gonna be the foundation, those who are gonna write the instructions for us and, and give us the command that Jesus gave. He, he gives us those through these apostles. And it says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, if you want to look at one verse that sums up the gospel, you can look at verse three of Acts chapter one. He talks about his suffering. He talks about that that, that literally is meaning the crucifixion. That Jesus went to the cross. He died for our sin. And then he talks about the resurrection. He gave many convincing proofs. Why Why do you think Luke wrote that? Why do you think Luke wrote that he gave many convincing proofs when he's talking about Jesus and the resurrection. If you go and you read through Acts, like we're gonna do over the next several weeks, then you're gonna see when they preached the gospel, it was not preached apart from the resurrection of Jesus. It's huge. But why do you think Luke would wanna write in there, this guy he's writing, and and be like, look, he gave many convincing proofs. Because they wouldn't believe him, right? And we live in a time where when we go and we share the gospel and we live in this, this pluralistic you know, um, um, society, a society that doesn't want absolute truth. And so we, 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 we refute anything that says this is the way. There's no truth. It's just my truth and my opinion. But, but here's the truth is that there were convincing proofs that Jesus was raised from the dead. If you go and look at just the historical objective facts about Jesus' resurrection, it is enough to conclude that 100%, this dead man came back to life. 100%. Just go look at it. And so he says, look, there were these convincing proofs and we look at it and we go, man, if I go tell people that, you know, that Jesus rose from the dead, they're gonna look at me like I've got 14 eyes on my forehead. And it's hard to understand. And don't you know, we live in a time where things are hard to understand. Things are hard to understand. I thought about this the other day because through this whole pandemic, like one thing that I wish would happen is that we could just get consistent information because it changes every day. Like one day mask help, the next day they don't, the next day they help, the next day they don't, right? You know, One day, you know, it's, it's, it's 14 days. You need to quarantine. Then it's 10. No, it's 14. Like we don't know. And one of the things that does not make sense to me is this. When you walk up to somebody now, especially dudes, you walk up to somebody, you don't really know what to do do you because some people are going to reach out to shake hands. Some people are going to fist bump and some people tap elbows. And so you kind of just walk up and you just sort of stand there until somebody makes the first move. And so I've just gotten where I do this. When I walk up to somebody, I'm like, how are we doing this? Like, we shaking, bumping, elbows, what are we, what are we doing, right? Because it just doesn't make, we don't know what to do. And here's what doesn't make sense to this for me. The one that people would deem the safest would be the elbow bump, right? When we watch politicians on TV right now so that they can be politically correct, they, they elbow bump. And this is the safest way to do this, right? But here's what doesn't make sense to me. Where are they also telling us to cough? Right? (coughs) That makes no sense, no sense. But it's just like our world right now. No sense. Can we just have some common sense prevail, right? That'll preach. So it's like, And here's the thing. I had somebody, I was telling somebody that the other day and they were like, well, you you tap on this side, you you cough in this side. I'm like, what? I'm like, they're telling us this thing can like leap 14 aisles in the grocery store, but it can't go around my elbow? (laughs) Common sense. Like, let's please, common sense, somebody. Like, just put me on TV. Let me tell you how this is gonna go down. Anyway. So we look at this, It's just one of those things that doesn't make sense. And so the resurrection is like this. And so here's what happens in our mind. We think this doesn't make sense that a dead man was raised from the grave. But when you look at Paul and he goes into places like Athens, see, we think we've gotten all sophisticated and we're the only pluralistic society that's ever existed. And and, and, and so we've, we're really intelligent and people that lived before us were really stupid. Um, and so we think that way because we're prideful and arrogant and we think we've got it all figured out when we don't. And so here's what happens though when Paul goes into Athens, it is just as much a pluralistic pluralistic society as there's ever been. And yet, you know what he proclaims? Wherever he went, to all these places where there were pagan gods and all these other things, he proclaimed the resurrection of the dead and that Jesus had been raised. And here's the point I want you to see in this. And Paul talks about this, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 If Jesus is not raised, and we're kind of ashamed of the fact that we have to tell people about a man who died and he was raised from the dead, and we just want to tell them God loves you and not really tell them the whole gospel, then if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you're still in your sin, you're still spiritually dead, and you'll still spend eternity separated from God forever. And here's the good news in this, y'all, is it did happen. And the resurrection, listen, the resurrection was the sign that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for our sin. And when Jesus breathed life, then God breathed life into that body. Jesus took his first breath and he stepped out of the tomb that the power of sin and death was broken forever on those who would just put their faith and trust in the sacrifice he made on the cross once and forever forever. Broken and see that the, the death came because of sin, but where sin was done away with their, their death has no sting anymore. Jesus fulfilled the law. He broke this curse of sin and death over our life. And so it's why it was so important for him to have a physical resurrection. It's why he comes to them. And and in different places, he's like, look, I'm not a ghost. Does a ghost have flesh and bone? Here, come touch me. Stick your hand in the side. It wasn't just so he could do some cool magic trick. It was so that they could see like this, I am really here. This is me. This is not a figment of your imagination. This is not something that that you're just kind of having this... uh, um, Apparition, Isn't that the right word? Apparition, where you're just seeing this thing. And he's like, no, look, touch me. He goes, hey, I tell you what, give me a fish. Give me some bread. Let me eat this. And he's like, look, do ghosts eat? No, because this was important. This was important, the resurrection. And so he says they gave convincing proofs, convincing proofs that he's alive. And this should be a great encouragement to us, church. One, that death has no hold on us. But two, that our mission to the world, like we, this should give us so much boldness, so much courage when the Spirit opens our eyes to see this. He goes on down and he talks about how. Luke writes this, it says that Jesus, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He spoke about the kingdom of God. And see, here's what's really interesting, too, is that when Jesus first came on the scene and he began to preach, what did he preach? He said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near. When he is about to go away, Jesus is still preaching. When he's talking about the great commission, he is still preaching the kingdom. Now, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God simply means the reign of God. The reign of God. And when God ascended Jesus, when Jesus ascended into heaven, it was this sign that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Maybe think about Philippians 2, 9 through 11. You can go back and read this, that because of what Jesus did, it says that God exalted him to the highest place, that that, that he gave him a name above every name, so that um, at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we see this, that Jesus came to establish God's kingship on earth. How does that happen? One, it happened when Jesus, our apostle, was sent to the earth to begin this movement or this mission. It then takes place when Jesus begins to preach the word and people's hearts are beginning to be stirred and people are coming to faith in who Jesus is. And then we look at it and we realize this, that Jesus has given us um, this same mission, but Jesus has given us this same spirit that was on him to carry out this mission. And, and so we look at this and we go, well, well, how does it, how does it really work? How, does it, how do we carry it out? What does it look like? Well, what does this mean for us that he was an apostle? He called us to this apostleship. He called us to be sent into the world. Not that we're apostles, but we are sent. And so Jesus comes to establish this kingdom, preached it from beginning to end. He's called us to be a part of bringing God's rule and reign. And here's how this happens, y'all. Here's how this happens. It happens by Jesus becoming king over our heart. It happens when we finally bow the knee to Jesus and we confess that he is Lord of all. And we confess that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he becomes king over our heart, truly king, sovereign over our heart. He is the one in control of my life. Not from a standpoint of like he's a sovereign, but I mean like I've surrendered all of this to him. And he becomes the king of my heart, the king of my life. And then that happens to you and me. And then he forms a body and this body goes out and we begin to proclaim the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus. And he tells us this last thing. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the holy spirit this is huge luke is laying out basically the whole book of acts for us in the first five verses and he's saying you are called to this this is what you're called to you're called to continue this movement jesus's movement continues by the holy spirit through his people but listen For us as as Christians to think that we can do Christian ministry apart from the Holy Spirit is a huge deception. We think we can plan good enough, we think we can preach good enough, we think we can do all of this stuff, but ministry apart from the power of the Holy Spirit is unaffective. It has no ability to change someone's heart, no ability to change a life, no ability to set free. And he tells him, go and wait. Don't do anything until you have this. And they weren't just, wait, we're gonna see where they were praying, they were gathered, they were worshiping, all these things. But listen, they were there together waiting. Why? Because Jesus said, wait. He gave them this command to go wait. And they waited. But listen, here's a challenge for us. We're not a waiting people, are we? We don't wanna wait. We're not a lingering type folk, right? We don't linger, and so the Holy Spirit is the key to ministry. How do we do that? How do we go about this? Listen, if we're not willing to wait on the Spirit, if we're not willing to put ourselves in position for the Spirit of God to, to flow through us where we're surrendering our life and we're spending time lingering with God and we're just we're willing to set aside time to be with the Lord, to be refilled, to have our focus on Him, to worship on our own, if we're not willing to do that, then then... then A Holy Spirit anointed ministry, Holy Spirit filled ministry is going to escape us and it's going to be ineffective. We have to spend time with God. And for some of us, it's getting beyond our own like feeling of, 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 um, like just being aware of like, like this feels really weird. Like silence doesn't feel good to us in our culture. But we need to take time and put ourselves in a place just to be silent, just to breathe God in, just to breathe him in, just to take time to to, to let the Holy Spirit minister to us, to fill us, worshiping God and letting him fill our hearts. And some of it's gonna sound really weird, right? Like I went in there and I just was praying and singing by myself, okay but go get with God. I don't know what it looks like for you, but get with God. I used to tell my kids, still do sometimes, like in, in sports, especially football. I'm like, when you line up across from somebody, it's usually the person who wants it the most that wins. Like wanting it more than the next person in athletics will typically give you the edge. But I wonder sometimes as a church, like how bad do we want not it, but him? Do we really want him? When we sing songs about, I can't get enough of you, but is that really the cry of our heart or is that just something we're singing? Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to to press in? Are you willing to get by yourself? And and here's the thing I realized, like, you know, I'm I'm paid to do that, right? Like like in in everybody's mind, just about everybody's mind, I have all the time in the world just to wait on the Lord because I don't do anything else all week. Nothing else going on around here. So I just have all the time in the world to wait on the Lord. So if that, even if that was true, let me tell you this. Before I was paid in ministry, I was doing that. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just telling you, there's no excuses, right? If you say, I love Jesus, there is no excuse for not being able to get still, get quiet and press into the Lord. If if it's really the cry of our heart, God, I need you. Oh Lord, I need you. then, Then we'll make time to get with him. And it might mean that some things have to get cut out, but I guarantee you, It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to feel a little bit foolish sometimes. To go into a room and turn some music on and just start singing to God. It's worth it just sometimes you just need to walk out in the woods and just yell, God, I need you! And hope nobody's around. So Lord, we need you. We need you because you have called us to continue this movement of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. I would challenge you, and this is what I just, I just believe God is this faithful. I would challenge you this week to consistently put yourself in a position for God to speak to you, for God, for you to open up his word, for you to begin to worship and you ask him to draw near and you're going to draw near to him and he is going to, to, to move in your life. I'm not talking about the heavens open. I'm not talking about feelings. We're not driven by feelings, but we're driven by the truth of God. And the truth of God says that if I ask for him, God pours him out again on my life, that he is a good father who gives the Holy Spirit. He doesn't withhold him. And I challenge you to put yourself in that position. I want this for you. A church, a body of people empowered by the Holy Spirit that gives you boldness to be a part of his people, continuing this movement of Jesus by his spirit, through his people. And that's what we're called to. And that's what we're going to be. Listen, church, we're going to be a church that demonstrates and declares the gospel. We're going to be a church that equips and encourages people in ministry. And we're going to be a church that sets apart and sends out people into the world from, from the farthest place to Statesboro. We're going we're to send people because that's what the church does. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word and truth. Lord, would you stir our hearts? Lord, we need you. I need you, God. God, I need you. I know you're calling some of us to a breakthrough and and, and just with you and and in our relationship with you, Lord. I pray, God, I thank you that the spirit um, even will will, will knock down anything, knock down walls or whatever it is, Lord, that, that, that to get to us, God, when we cry out. And so, Lord, I pray that the hearts of each person in here would be that we cry out to you this morning, that we'd wait on you, God, we'd wait on you. We'd wait on you. We we would press into you. We would long for you, truly the cry of our heart, knowing that you promised that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Will you fill us with your presence? Give us more of you, God. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us draw near, Lord, as you draw near to us and empower us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, Let's, let's do this. Like, look, this is what we're called to. This movement continues. Let's go, right? Let's go. All right, see you next week.